All right, well, we are in a series I'm really excited about, and it's called How to Have the Worst Year Ever. And if you didn't know how to have the worst year ever, over the course of this month, you will know. And I will help you absolutely wreck your year and your life, if you so choose. Now, we didn't meet last week, which I'm, I'm still very saddened by, but um, so two weeks ago, we kicked off this series by saying, if you want to have the worst year ever, we said, be a complainer. Mm. Be a complainer. There's a, there's a, I want to kind of like review with you a couple things we said about this because I feel like uh, there's a lot of truths in there that uh, we have to remember. The first thing we said that we have to realize just how dangerous complaining can be. We looked at the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert and all their complaining to God and Moses. And ultimately what we know is that complaining, it, it is sin. Complaining is what angered God about the Israelite people. It was in their hardships. So God is not surprised when you have hardships. It's almost expectant that you will have hardships in this life. But when the people of God begin to complain about their hardships, God got pretty annoyed, didn't he? The second thing is that we have to build our personal contentment to be stronger than our cravings. And this is why I love 21 days of prayer and fasting, because it's a time when we're saying no to our body, we're saying no to our soul, we're saying yes to our spirit. We are learning how to deny our cravings and strengthen our spirit. What we know is also when it comes to complaining is that somebody is far happier than you with less than you have. A little bit of perspective. And we also said that you have to take responsibility and do something. Because if you spend today complaining about yesterday, it never makes tomorrow any better. And so if you practice these things, you can absolutely ruin your year. You will live a miserable life. You will live as a victim. Everything's going wrong. Everything's against you. No, no, no. Take some responsibility and do something about it. If you want to hear that whole message, go to newlifeforkokemont.org. You can catch up on the beginning of this series. But today is part two of how to have the worst year ever. If complaining isn't enough, well, then I would tell you, if you want to have the worst year ever, then just be selfish. Be selfish. Selfishness will ruin not just your life, although you think you're getting everything you want, it's ultimately unfulfilling. But it's also hurting those around you. The lie of our day is that life is all about you. That is the major deception that especially us in the Western world struggle with. Because you are marketed to all the time about how to better yourself and better your life and, and how to have more. More square footage, more money, more attention, more followers, whatever it may be. The deception is that this life is all about you. And I would say to live a life that is only about yourself, it, it is it's frankly, it's just very shallow because there's so much more depth 
to this life when we realize life is so much, that, that it goes beyond just ourselves, isn't it? Actually, in, um, in Satanism, or, or, or many other types of witchcraft, the underlying ideology of Satanism is worship of self. One of the tenets of Satanism is to thine own self be true. And there's a lot of maybe conspiracy because Shakespeare is really known for using that line. And whether or not it was connected to that, there's argument. I don't care to argue about it because I, I don't think it matters. But it is true that in witchcraft and other forms of Satanism, that it all points back to a road towards yourself. To thine own self be true. And, and, and so it was being true to oneself, a selfishness that has led to some of the most devastating events in human history. It was when, when one gave into their own selfish cravings in a garden called Eden that they ate the forbidden fruit and brought a terrible cancer called sin into all of humanity. It is because of, of, of being true to oneself and one's own desires that has led to this, the fall of man. It has led to wars. It has led to terrible acts of discrimination, hateful acts of abuse, all because of following one's own selfish desires. I found over 50 verses in Scripture that speak specifically to denying ourselves, to submit to God, and to honor others. And if we were to include submitting to God and to honor others, it'd be hundreds of Scriptures. But fi over 50 verses alone just about denying ourselves when the whole when our our world our culture even witchcraft would say you do you you do you i do me be true to you be true to yourself and i understand that some people might have good intentions about saying be true to yourself cuz they're ultimately maybe somebody is trying to say be who god created you to be but our culture, when they're saying, be true to yourself, they're saying, if you feel it, do it. If you feel a certain way, then you are a certain way. Well, I have news for you. If you follow your feelings, you will only fall on your face. Maybe not here. Maybe, maybe our world will praise you for following your feelings, but one day you will fall on your face before the King of kings and Lord of lords when you have to acknowledge the truth of the pattern of sin in our lives. There, there's a, a very, very common uh, parable that you're all going to be aware of today that I want to use kind of as our basis of Scripture. And, uh, and so we're, let's turn now to Luke chapter 10. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law. What do you call an expert in the law? A lawyer. A lawyer, not just in government law, 
a lawyer in the scripture. So this guy is really good about using questions. He's an expert at arguing his points on scripture. Have you ever bumped into a lawyer of the scripture before? (laughs) Isn't that fun? On one occasion, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. He said, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law, Jesus replied. And how do you read it? Well, watch his response. He answered, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And, the lawyer still speaking, love your neighbor as yourself. Now where did he, again, where did he get this response from? From the scripture. He is a, an expert in the scriptures. Specifically, these are mentioned in Leviticus and Numbers, the, in the Torah. Jesus responds, you have answered correctly. But here's the second part. Do this and you will live. So it alludes to that he knows it, but he's not doing it. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, okay, well, who is my neighbor? In in reply, Jesus said, in reply, Jesus tells a story. I love this about Jesus. It's awesome. So Jesus tells a story. He says, well, let me tell you, Mr. Lawyer Man, one time there was a man. He was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. The guy's like, okay. When... On his way, when he was attacked by robbers. And these dudes, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and then they went on their way, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be walking by. He happened to go down the same exact road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Hmm. We call this parable the story of the Good Samaritan because there's the rest of the story that's going to be unfolding here in a second. But some interesting things to note here in Jesus' response to this man. The man's question, original question was, how do you inherit eternal life? He answers correctly when he says, love God, and love people. And Jesus says, now go and do it. Well, who, who is people? Who is my neighbor that I'm supposed to love? Well, let me tell you a story. He tells a story of a man who was robbed and beaten, left half dead, which also means he's half alive. A priest and a Levite, when they see the man, they pass by on the opposite side of the road and leave the hurting man. So when you think of a priest, maybe the first time you read this story, you think, oh, the guy's going to be okay. A priest is coming, only to see that the priest leaves him, and a Levite as well. Now, a priest and a Levite are both from the tribe of Levi. This is significant because the tribe of Levi was the group of people in the Old Testament that was set apart from the rest to serve the house of God. 
So any priest is from the tribe of Levi. So priests, they had a duty in helping serve in the temple. And Levites also had duties to help serve in the temple as well. It's likely that these two, these, this priest and this Levite, may have even been on their way to go serve in the temple, in the house of God. Coming upon the man, why would they choose to ignore a half-alive man to go do their duties for God in his house? A couple reasons. They held to some very strict rules about who can serve in the house and not. One of the things they had to do is keep themselves what they called to be ceremonially clean in order to do their duties. In other words, there were certain things they they had to stay away from in order to be considered clean. Now, if they were to um, touch a dead body, if they were to eat a certain kind of food, if they were to come in contact with a Gentile or someone that is not of their own faith, they would be considered unclean. If you're then considered unclean, you would have to follow a certain like, uh, formula to then be considered clean again. It would typically mean a baptism and a mikvah. It would also sometimes mean a certain period of days that you would uh, consider it a quarantine, okay? That you would have to be quarantined by, for so many days and not have contact with so many people. And uh, some of us are aware of that now, aren't we? And so there would have been a, an incredible inconvenience to the priests and Levite should they help this man. And they chose not to be inconvenienced by someone half dead, half alive. They chose their own convenience over helping. And Jesus uses this story to help show us some really great truths. But, but what I want to help us see today is that for the priest and for the Levite, their choice was rooted in selfishness. That they couldn't help the hurting, they helped themselves. And the first thing I would tell you is that selfishness is always the concern for me at the expense of you. And ultimately for the priest and the Levite, they chose them versus the hurting. And so for them to continue on in their pretty little lives, serving, feeling important, having their role, not having to be inconvenienced, it was at the expense of the man on the side of the road about to die. Selfishness is always the concern for oneself at the expense of someone else. Proverbs 18.1, it's not on the screen, but it says, an unfriendly person pursues selfish ends. An unfriendly person pursues selfish ends. The thing is, when one person chooses to be selfish, someone else is always suffering. Think about it. In a friendship... If one person is selfish, the other friend is likely suffering. In a marriage, if one person is selfish, then one spouse is suffering. 
Sometimes they suffer quietly. Sometimes they suffer until they've had enough. But when you choose selfishness, you're choosing yourself at the expense of other people. Think about it at your workplace. If you're worked with someone that's selfish, it's at your expense, isn't it? You end up having to pick up their loose ends. You end up having them sometimes work longer. You end up having to clean up their mess. You end up having to fix their mistakes. Selfishness. It feels good for you, but I guarantee you others are suffering because of you. That is the outcome of selfishness, the suffering of others around us. Because the truth is, again, the, the deception, the lie of our world is that life is all about you. So you do you. You want it? Go get it. You're gonna, you want to have the best year ever, they would tell you? Then live for yourself. Live for yourself. Put yourself first. Come on, how many times have we heard these kinds of things? Put yourself first. Choose you before anything else. But the truth is, the more one obsesses over themselves, the less they start caring about others. The more you choose you, you begin to become more and more numb to the needs of others around you. I can only imagine that the priest and the Levite were used to a world where they were on a pedestal. They served in the house of God. They dressed a certain way. I am clean. I am ceremonially considered clean. Others do my bidding because I have to remain clean. And they got so used to maybe it being about them. And this is, this is what can happen in leadership. If you're ever in a leadership role, whether it be at work or at your home or in the church, this, this can be the bait of leadership, that you're used to somehow it being about you, but that's not true leadership. Jesus modeled servant leadership. Serving others. The more you obsess over yourself, the less you'll care about other people. And, and in your relationships and friendships and in, in, in your relationship with your kids and relationships with your spouses, in your relationship with people in your life group, the more you care about you, the less you'll, carry about other, you'll care about others. Frankly, in our Western world, we are quite obsessed with ourselves. In fact, there are on average, as of... This is an old statistic. It's from 2015. But there's a statistic years ago that said there are about 93 million selfies taken a day. If you don't know what a selfie is, it's when you take a picture of your selfie. Yourself. You turn the camera towards you and only you and you take a, yourself a nice little picture. 93 million selfies a day. 82% of youth between 18 and 34 in the U.S. are selfie takers. Here's a fun statistic. 259 people have died taking selfies. It's apparently hazardous to your health. 
What I also don't understand about that statistic, I don't know how they find this stuff out, y'all. I really don't. But half of those that died taking selfies are from India. I don't know why. Maybe, maybe uh, in India they, they use a lot of mopeds and motorcycles. Maybe they're trying to, I, I don't know. There is a term called, called I'm going to try to get this right, selfie-titus. And it is the compulsive need to take selfies. Some young women in college age have confessed that they spend five hours a day taking selfies. <laughs> getting the right light, getting the right filter, getting their good side, whatever. But here's the thing. <laughs> I know it's funny. But it stands to reason that we are a people that become obsessed with ourselves. But I want to caution us as followers of Jesus that the more we obsess over ourselves, we begin to turn off our compassion towards others. This priest and this Levite, to see a man beaten, probably close to naked, on the side of the road, seeing that he even still be alive and not help him, I wonder how many people we pass by that are hurting. It's not that we don't care. Sometimes we just don't even notice because we're worried about going along our own way. Let's continue on in Jesus' story that he's telling. Then Jesus goes on to tell this man about a third traveler that passes by this hurting man. He says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. Now, here's, here's the, inter- the, the interesting thing. Many of you probably should know this, but Jesus is talking to a lawyer of the scripture. So we know this man is a Jew. And Jesus is talking to a crowd of Jews. Well, Jews and Samaritans had a lot of conflict. Um, they hated each other. Okay, that, that's the truth. They hated each other. It was, it was a racial division that was so severe that Jews would say, if you're traveling and you have to go through Samaria, take the long route and go around it. We don't go through that part of town. Don't be caught in that part of town. Like that, That's the kind of racial division that they had that they, they despised, the Jews, they despised the Samaritans. They, they were like illegitimate children of God to them. The way they chose to worship, all, they, it was just like appalling to them. They were illegitimate in their eyes. And Jesus talking to these Jewish people, telling this story, he uses two figures of, I would probably even stand to say, the Jewish elite a priest and a Levite, and then compares it to a Samaritan. We call this parable the parable of the good Samaritan. And in the eyes of a Jew, there's no such thing as a good Samaritan. So Jesus says, but a Samaritan. In other words, the person you like the least, as he traveled and came where the man was, and when he saw him, what he do? 
he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn to take care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, which is about two days' wages, and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. The Good Samaritan. What an incredible selfless act that he had versus the selfish acts of the former in the story. So I think the second thing we can say in contrast to our first point is that selflessness is compassion for others at the expense of self. Because for this Samaritan, it cost him something to care for this hurting man. It cost him his time. He went out of his way. He paid his expenses. And he told the innkeeper, if you incur any additional expenses on this man, I will be responsible to pay the difference. Selflessness, sometimes it costs you something, but it also heals stuff. You see, one, selfishness always causes someone else to be suffering. But selflessness always brings healing. It always is a help. Selflessness. And I can't think of of anybody that, that should understand selfless acts more than followers of Jesus. Because, like, the whole thing, our whole thing, the whole gospel is centered around God becoming man. Living the perfect life that you and I can't achieve. And then dying the death you and I deserve to then forgive us for free and give us eternal life. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to do anything. But you do have to give yourself. So can you be selfish and follow Jesus? I think that when somebody encounters the love of God, here's what happens. They obsess less about themselves and they care more about others. And it's not because of a have to. It's because of a want to. It's because my life has been completely transformed by the free love of God. And my only response to the free gift of forgiveness found in Jesus is to live selflessly, is to give of myself to others. My only response now is to serve others so that they too may encounter the love of God that they may see in me. We then become carriers of the message and conduits by which the love of God can flow. So Jesus asked this question. He says, which of these three, the three in the story, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, which of these three do you think 
was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers. The lawyer just got lawyered. And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. He had to admit that a Samaritan, a Samaritan, was above the other two in the story. Two Jews of elite status. And here's what Jesus told him. Go and do likewise. Go be a Samaritan. (laughs) You see, the third thing I think we can see in the story is that life isn't found in what you get. It's found in what you give. Ultimately, living for yourself is unfulfilling. It's ultimately unfulfilling. So if you want to have the worst year ever, make it all about you. Make everyone serve what you want to see done. Live only for your dreams, only your visions, only what you want to see happen in your life. Jesus said in Mark 8, it's not on the screen, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. In other words, if you want to try to save your own life, If you want to live your life your way, you'll lose it. But then Jesus says, but whoever loses their life for me, for the sake of the gospel, they will save it. And and then he says this, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? And this is what selfishness is can lead us to the thought that we can save our own life by what we gain and by what we maintain but if you you could gain the whole world and still forfeit your soul my dad would say it this way and how much is a dead millionaire worth Devin well that puts it into perspective then The original question of the lawyer was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus goes into this parable of a Samaritan who selflessly gave aid to a man who was left for dead by a priest and a Levite. The priest and the Levite illustrate for us that nominal Christian living is not enough. Living for Christ in word only is not enough. The priest and the Levite followed all of their faith's rules and laws were considered to be clean. Yet, God chose the acts of a Samaritan 
and he tells us, go and do likewise. You see, for the priest and the Levite, the reality that they were right with God, the reality that they were righteous, was actually rooted in a self-righteousness. A selfishness. But it was, on the inside, they thought they had it all right. But outwardly, their expression showed they missed it. So I would say that the inner reality isn't a reality until it is outwardly expressed. In the inner reality that Jesus is the Lord of our lives, it must be outwardly expressed in selflessness. But don't get me wrong, friend. Don't get me wrong. This is about ruining your year. If you want to ruin your year, if you want to have the worst year ever, you do you. You do you. Live for you. Live selfishly. But just be aware, where there is selfishness, there's other people suffering on the side of the road half dead. Or, like the parable of the Good Samaritan, go do likewise. And seeing the needs of others. And if you want to save your life, well then you'll lose it for the sake of the gospel. Then and only then you'll truly find it. And when you learn to live beyond your own selfish wants and needs and dreams, what you will find is that life has a new sense of, uh, it's richer, it's deeper, it's wider. You'll find a great sense of purpose. That's why... That's why so many people at New Life have found such incredible fulfillment in serving in our church. When they serve at the door, when they serve in kids' ministry, when they serve a meal, when they serve our community and our food pantry, they find great fulfillment because life is so much more than you. And you begin to find great fulfillment beyond yourself in serving. And even Jesus didn't come to be served but to serve. Go and do likewise. So if you want to have something different this year, if you want to have life and life abundantly, give yourself. Give yourself over to God. Really surrender to His ways. And sometimes for some, especially some of us tough guys, I'm not a tough guy. Some of you might be tough. But some of you tough guys, surrender might sound like defeat. But when you surrender to God, it is the most freeing thing you could ever experience. And you will find incredible purpose. So give yourself over to God. Live to love God to love people, to love sharing God with people. That's our mission here at New Life. So love God, love people, love sharing God with people. Come on, will you join me in 2022 in loving for God? Let our passion for God be real. Let's love people. Our compassion for others is real. But it goes beyond just compassion because we want them to experience the the reality of God's love and the transformative power of the gospel when we love sharing God with people as well. So if you want to restore the connection in your friendships, 
lose the selfishness. If you want to restore the connection with your children, be selfless. If you want to restore the connection in your marriage, be selfless. Serve one another. And if you want to make a difference in your calling, if you want to make a difference like like God has called us to do, you can't be selfish and follow Jesus at the same time. Jesus said so. Come on, let's stand together this, this morning. Worshiping, we're going we're gonna to sing one last song like we do. And, and, and while we do that, this is a great opportunity to take out that prayer card, that 21 days of prayer card. I'm believing God for. What are you believing God for this year? Let's believe God together. And as we sing this last song, I pray that the Holy Spirit would help you make do a self-evaluation that, that, that selfishness would decrease. I would decrease, but God, may you increase in my life. Help every area of my life. Hey, New Life Church, thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us and you'd like to learn a little bit more about New Life Church, you can text the word CONNECT to the number 765-347-9127. Again, thank you so much for joining us and we hope to see you guys next time.